This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. I'm Mary Hulay with Richard Ote. Hello, Richard. Hi, Mary. How's it going? Good. Steve's will be screeching in here like Kramer flying through the door. <laughs> He's probably about uh, seven, eight minutes away. Okay. Well, that's all right. We can do this. Hello, Wade in the control booth. We've got Kelly holding down the Ford in headquarters. So we have a guest, wonderful guest, Mario Knopfel. Welcome to the program. Thank you, got, you for having me. I appreciate it. You got the B team. No. What are you talking about? Come <laughs> well, on. We now. pull the A. <laughs> <laughs> we get A teams in the house. Steve will be right, right around the corner. He's down the road picking up his son from camp right now. And, you know. Summertime. Summertime. It's the art of reinvention. He's uh, reinventing starting a show when you're not at your show. Exactly. So, Mario, how are you? I am good. Yourself? Good. So you still up in Marina del Rey now? No, I've left. I haven't been to the U.S. for a few months now. So I've been traveling for six years. I want to. Um, I spend most of my time between Dubai and Europe. But after the seals, I used to walk a lot on the uh, on the pier there, and my partner is obsessed with the seals. So I'll probably end up moving to Marina del Rey, listening to those seals in the middle of the night. Oh, nice. Nice. What's uh, so? Here we are. It's reinvention radio and. Obviously, what your topic, I believe, when we when I looked at it last, was reinventing seven-figure business. And so since that's going to be the reinvention part, where where did you get started? What, what was your uh, origin story? Let's start there, and then uh, we'll go into what you're doing now. Sure. Even my origin story wasn't typical. So when I started business, I, had, I didn't even know what entrepreneurship meant, but I, I was at university. And then I heard some boy, he was 13, 14 years old, and he made his first million dollars at that age. And I was 21, 22. I thought I was young. I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm not old, but I'm definitely not too young to start in entrepreneurship. And I dropped out of university, banking and finance, and then just started door knocking. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anything about e-commerce, nothing. Um, nothing about eBay, none of that. That was about 2012, so seven years ago now. And then since then, I uh, launched my first e-commerce business, went really well, scaled really rapidly, launched another one, scaled to 30 countries. Then I bootstrapped a consulting business and I, I kind of expanded from there to where I am today. So when you did that and you went door to door, what were the natural things that you did or what you learned along the way that really solidified you as an, a success? The lesson is invaluable. You learn so many things when you knock on doors. First, it's just so difficult. So any hurdles you face, I had my general manager in Australia today. His name is Francois. He says, Mario, I just want to tell you something. He doesn't usually give me a lot of compliments. He's like, I just want to tell you, because today was a good day for one of my companies. They got scammed last year, almost went bust. And today is kind of a revival, um, getting strong again. And he said, Mario, the company wouldn't be here. No matter what happens, you've always been positive. I don't know where you get that energy from. But then if I think about those door knocking days, when you're sitting there, you go into an office, you're meant to be confident, and someone tells you to get right out of that door. Those lessons are so powerful when you start facing hurdles. And they also teach you, and I was introverted back then, but I started getting outside my shell, and you start to learn how to deal with people. 
And that's important even with e-commerce, with creating good copy for emails, because you understand how people think, how they, they react to what you say. And that allowed me now to be on calls where you know, I talk to, to companies wanting to sign up for six-figure, seven-figure deals. Back then, I was selling a $200 product or a $10 a week subscription for a water filter. But it's the same thing. You're dealing with people, even if it's behind a laptop. That's a person on the other side. If you're writing an email and you're sending out mass emails, imagine you say that email to someone at a bar. That's a typical example given. No, even when it's behind a keyboard, you're still dealing with people and you should always keep that in mind. So from door knocking to doing e-commerce, selling thousands of products or talking to corporations around the world, they're, they're people buying your products. They're people buying your services. They are people behind those corporations. Yeah, that's a great lesson when it comes to the confidence for sure. I could, I could only imagine, you know, you, it's like a defensive back in football. You just got burnt for a big touchdown and you got to forget that last door you just knocked on and yeah. you know take the positives and get ready for that next door knock but um, what's interesting is you both got lessons from it but you also might have learned you didn't want to do that because door locking knocking led to e-commerce was it the same product or and you just didn't want to do it anymore or what was the how was that transition my strategy was very simple follow the money i know it sounds very cheesy but it's actually is exactly what you should be doing um, when you try many different ideas, whether it's door knocking, whether it's launching an e-commerce business, whether it's consulting, whether it's selling an educational program, you will test the idea. You'll put some effort into it. You should balance it out, not work 10 years developing the product, but you should put in some sort of effort and then see if people buy it. And that's what I was doing in door knocking. I would have a bunch of products. I started with water filters, then I tried coffee machines, then I tried LED lights, then I tried uh, uh, TV spots, TV advertising, 10-second uh, spots. And then whatever works, I doubled down on it. And the product that went well was a blender. And then I thought, people are wanting to buy that blender. I wasn't selling it. I was selling a subscription to get smoothie products for cafes to make smoothies. But the cafes want to buy the blender. All right, let me find a drop shipper. I started getting, picking up blenders from his warehouse in my car, deliver them to the cafes. And then after that, I said, how can I scale this? See, following the money because people are buying blenders. Maybe eBay would work. I had no idea how to do eBay. I sat there, I opened the account. I put the product there, and I, I didn't do what's, what other people listing their product do. How do I stand out? So I'm like, all right. The main competitor that's really expensive is called Vitamix. You might have heard that brand. They are main competitor now in over 30 countries. Back then, I was pretty aggressive. I was young and, and, and crazy. So what I put in my listing before eBay banned it is do not buy Vitamix. Up there, back then, my brand was something else. My brand is better at a fraction of the price. And that got me ranking highly on, on eBay. See, I did something different instead of doing what everyone else does. And I also followed the money. That worked. I got that chiching sound on my phone. I kind of went crazy, doubled down. Then I'm like, ah, what can eBay takes a massive fee. Let me open a website. I opened a website. And then I did the same strategy. Well, no one's doing it. No one did. I've never seen anyone do it. And Google allowed it back then. There's no trademark. So I said, do not buy Vitamix on Google as a Google ad. And I went to my website. Not, people couldn't even add the product to cart back then because I, I was using something called GoCart. And they have to go on the contact us page and contact me. And I got people contacting me. I'm like, wow. And then I upgraded the website and went from there. But that, that strategy of following the money and that other strategy of doing things differently and taking that risk, as long as it's not illegal or unethical, taking that risk, being aggressive, making noise with the Do Not Buy Vitamix campaign, literally built my first business. And then everything else came, Facebook marketing, 
incredible customer service, developing and improving the product, scaling to other, all these things came afterwards. But it just took that one thing. Don't look for that formula, but when you land on one, double down on it. The do not buy strategy, I started, I, I doubled down on it for years until it didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot of the Ray Kroc story. He was a, he was selling the, uh, whatever, the milkshake machines. Yeah, and he goes like, oh, I'm going to go. What are these guys? The McDonald brothers are they, they need four machines? I'm going to go. And he was following the money, right? Exactly. exactly. Showed up, yeah. saw what they were doing, and was like, oh, let's do this as a... But that's, I think that's the spirit of entrepreneurs. What entrepreneurs do is they, they just try all these different things. As long as it's not shiny object syndrome where you don't double down on something that works, they try a million things and... It's, it's in their DNA to follow their money without knowing it. But actually, when something works, they double down on it. It's a mistake for an entrepreneur. If something works and they'll get excited by something else, like ignore it. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes for entrepreneurs that are just going in circles. Because for people to give you their money for a product or service or your time, it's a vote of confidence. It's a proof of concept. It's saying, hey, you're onto something and we're trusting you with our money. That's all that an entrepreneur needs to, before doubling down. Before I ask another question, for those who are watching the video, obviously someone new is in the room. What's our, up? Our fearless leader, so <laughs> might as well you guys say hello and catch up. What's up? Hi, Mary. Hi, hello. Richie. How are you? How Hi, are you? What is going on, Mario? How are you doing, my brother? What's the good word? Things good in the hood? You've missed out on so much value, man. You've missed out on such an incredible story. Yeah, it's right. Too bad. Yeah, <laughs> the good news is, we'll, uh, we, we, I know how I can actually listen to the first eight minutes of this. I know where I can find <laughs> the uh, the replay on that, man. So, welcome, welcome, and uh, good to see Mary. Good to see you, Richie. Yeah. Wait on the down the studio, and uh, Mario, I appreciate you you hanging out with us. So. Yeah, it's uh, the the good old journey of trying to get from one side of San Diego to the other. Well, I've got my boy in uh, rowing class here in the summer, so all the way down in the bay, coming all the way over here to the studio, and here we are. So hanging out, man. So I uh, appreciate you guys. Reinventing uh, first world problems. Right? I yes. know, exactly. <laughs> appreciate you guys jumping in quickly here with Mario, man. What a hell of a story, dude. You got uh, You got a whole bunch of interesting things going on. And uh, and I see you invested in uh, in nice lamps with all of those uh, with that that windfall, man. So good job on that. Oh, you can see, yeah, it's my apartment here. But I, you said rowing. Your kid does rowing. I was just listening to the book um, uh, about the Winklevoss twins. I just finished it two days ago, and mm -hmm. they started rowing. So it kind of reminded me of them. I'm not sure what, what what is it about rowing. Is it the challenge or the fitness or? You know, it's uh, so it's the easiest way to get a scholarship for college here in the States. <laughs> that's, oh, that's funny. That's why I put my, uh, I was like, hey, you know, you should, you should check this out, man. Because, yeah, I mean, look, I, my boy's got all kinds of athletic talent, but, you know, he's not going to be a rock star soccer player. He's not really into lacrosse. He tried football, not really a thing. And I was like, you know, this crew thing might be interesting because there's not a lot of folks that do it. And a lot of Ivy League folks, uh, you know, a lot of Ivy League schools give scholarships for that and other schools and Pac-12 and so on. So I was like, why don't you try rowing? And uh, and so we'll we'll see what happens. But he's getting the work out of his life, man. It's you can hard, get yeah. you can get you in USC with just a picture of you say. rowing. <laughs> <laughs> with just a picture of you. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but yes. Oh man. So I don't want to I don't want to step on toes because Richie, I know you had another question. Thanks for uh, pausing for me to jump in here, man. What uh, what was the next question oh, you were no. going to ask? You yeah, know, it was great. Um, so obviously we know a little bit because we saw a backstory and but a lot of people don't know. So here you are and you're saying 
it's a mistake for entrepreneurs to start the next new thing. But at the same time, you got a lot of things going on. So what what is the the balance there? Yeah, look, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's all about balance. You know, a lot of people love to say, you hustle, you hustle, you work your, your, your ass off. Other people say, you know, don't work too hard. You have to be strategic, life, uh, you know, business life balance, work life balance. It's all about balancing it out. So in terms of having too many things, some people say focus on one thing. Some successful people say that who've built one business and that had done really well. One thing and one thing alone. Other people say, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. For me, it's a balance. If I, I started my first business, before doing anything else for the first three years, it was just that one company called Fruity. Um, seven figures year one, eight figures in year two, scaled to 30 countries. It was just one business. Then expanded to events and other products. But I had to balance it between me having shiny object syndrome and always wanting to try new things, but also me spreading my risk. Because when one of the suppliers screwed Fruity and we had to go through a patent case and And that really hurt the company. Plus, we had an accounting crisis. In the same year, the company was down to its knees. We literally spoke about closing the company down a few years ago. But if I didn't have other businesses that did well, I would not be in a good situation. But I did. So a lot of my team members, instead of letting them go because we had to cut costs, they moved to another business. And they started working there and bringing value there. And then that business got scammed last year. It was through a horrible scam. Lucky I had other companies. Because instead of losing those team members, bless you, instead of losing those team members, they moved moved to these other companies. So I had different baskets and that allowed revenue to flow when if I only had one business, I would be down to my knees. Now, you might say, well, if you focus on that business, maybe what happened would not have happened. It's hard to say that. You know, hindsight 2020, but it's hard to know. Some things are beyond your control. One of my businesses was a consulting business in blockchain and the market went to shit. We all expected it, but businesses cut down 90, 95% of their staff, and we were not immune to that because everything just went on a standstill, like the dot-com bubble, now it's picking up again. If I did not have other companies, I'd be really struggling that last year like others, really struggling. But I had other companies, and I moved my focus. So I had to balance it between that and not launching too many businesses, which I do. Now, I get too excited sometimes, and I launch that. I've got a whole bunch of ventures here on my whiteboard. I do that sometimes, and I have to kind of bring myself back to reality all right, it's not worth it. Cut it down, cut it down. Now, how do I know what to cut down and what to double down on? The, the strategy we discussed before, focusing on what works. The, uh, Jim Collins says you throw pebbles, and then when a pebble hits, you go with a cannonball. So I try many different businesses. On my whiteboard here, I've got a, a subscription box for paleo, uh, diet, uh, paleo products, snacks. I've got a, um, a, a health food pro- uh, business. I've got a CBD business. I'm trying everything. Do a landing page, try it out. When one works, when people start paying me for that product, that means this is a business that I'm going to double down on. Maybe four of them fail, one works, I'll double down on that one that works. Mm-hmm. And I've had ones that didn't work. So let me, let me jump in here for a second, and, may, and perhaps you covered some of this, and, and perhaps this will be fresh territory then, but let me just make sure I'm clear on this. So of the 14 companies, it's 14 that you have right now that are operating, is that correct? I'll have to look at it. I don't know. Whatever the number. If you if you lose count, there it, that's either something <laughs> amazing or that's a huge problem. Like I can't figure out like it's, where the where, where to look, reconcile I that. But, I started fourteen businesses, but I wouldn't say it's fourteen businesses that you'd be able to build. So I've got if you look at my businesses, four core businesses, the eighty twenty rule, and it's those four core businesses that make up ninety five percent of my revenue. 
And so what is the total gross revenue then of, of each of those four core businesses right now? The four, they're all doing either seven or eight figures spread across them. Each one is in the millions. Some are doing eight, some are doing seven. Mm-hmm. And so how active are you then with each of those? Or do you, like, as you look to start, because the pebble analogy, is, as I understand it, and just kind of playing off of that then is, okay, so you, you throw some things against the wall, you see what sticks and so on. I would venture to guess then, as you look to, and you're using your terminology, as you double down, the first step in that doubling down process is finding someone else to then step in and run with this particular initiative that you are now doubling down on. Is that, is that the most important next step? That is an extremely important next step that I thought I was a really good person at doing. I thought I was the master of it until I got screwed by someone that was running one of them. That was Mm -hmm. a scam last year. Mm -hmm. So my business, IBC, that was a consulting business. Launched it in late 2017. I've got videos about it. I did interviews about it in the crypto space. So I had no knowledge about blockchain. When I launched it, I was just learning. I was a student. And I spoke for hours every day, morning to night, speaking to people in the space. And then when I built it, I knew how to manage team members. I knew how to scale a business. But I brought other people that have that experience, that crypto and blockchain experience, mm-hmm. that can develop softwares, that can work with those larger companies. And I trusted them with the business. And that later on, that backfired. So um, they took advantage of the situation. And a few months later, we scaled the business to seven figures in less than six months. But behind the scenes, they were taking you know, money on the side, trying to take clients on the side, taking team members on the side. I didn't know. I was oblivious. I was close to them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So that's why I had but no link. Hold on. Time out for a second. So let me just make sure I'm clear on this. So how do you, how do you not know? I mean, like, in, and just as an entrepreneur who has uh, run numerous endeavors over the years, maybe I'm too much of a control freak to a fault. Right. I mean, like maybe for, maybe that's one of my, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's one of my downsides as an entrepreneur is I'm, I'm too much. Kelly's texting me right now. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> but, you know, reality is I could never imagine not knowing where things are from a financial perspective. I mean, I guess if you're Amazon and you've got five hundred million dollars going through the company on a daily basis, it might be a little hard to keep track of where every dollar is going. But at the seven-figure level and even at the eight-figure level, how did you lose control of where the dollars were going? Did you just kind of step away and wash your hands of it and go, I'll wait for the residuals here and whatever happens, happens? Or just because as an entrepreneurial lesson here, let's talk about how you allowed that to happen. Two mistakes. So the first one, my biggest mistake in business that lost me a lot of money know, money that would make someone cry, is not having a good accounting team. I ran my businesses for years without even having a PL. That's mind-boggling. Exactly. You can see. No, I'm not. I'm nodding my head because we're right there right now. I mean, we're we're in our business that will probably do two million this year. And Kelly, who's my right-hand person, and I just finally sat down and said, you know, we we need to treat this like a real business, which I've done with other businesses in the past. But in this business, we. Same thing, man. No, no P&L, no real understanding of where we're at from an accounts payable, accounts receivable standpoint on a, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So please keep going. That's number one. So that's something I, that doesn't relate to the scam. That's just me being silly and not liking accounting. And instead of getting a strong person, I get people that f- complement my weaknesses. I failed with accounting and I'm not great at hiring. At least I wasn't. So the first mistake. Second mistake 
is how did those people take clients behind the scenes, et cetera, because I trusted them too much. And they work remotely, not, not in an actual office. And um, I had them, the person that led the entire process, it's one person, without him, none of this would have happened. I trusted him so much that I gave him access. I did not have, um, uh, what is it called? We have a, a software that monitors your screen so you know how much a person's working and, and what work they do. You can monitor it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has it in the company, but because that person was, he worked really hard. He worked you know, 15 hour days. He was so dedicated. He was an incredible salesperson. Obviously, he tricked me as well, and I'm a good salesperson. Mm-hmm. And um, us not having that, that finger on the pulse backfired. And it, wasn't, it didn't only catch me by surprise. I wasn't alone. Um, my team members, they were also control freaks. They couldn't spot it. And he was just planting those seeds behind the scenes. I don't know how we couldn't spot it. And I'm not alone. And then one day, he just took one of our clients and kind of disappeared, blocked me off. as a legal case against him and took a lot of money with him. Mm. So that's... That's that. That's not related to the PNL, but that's the. I think that's just a downside of delegation. I think there's a risk you take as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure there's other people that went through a similar process. Uh, it's bad luck and me trusting people, which is one of my weaknesses that probably led to this. And I genuinely don't think um, it's something that will happen again. It's not that common. Most people are good people, mm-hmm. and it's not common that you land on bad apples. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, I mean, you can, you know, Richie, we're just kind of joking around a little bit in terms of the crew and getting them into USC, you know, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, when, when ego and money and reality comes into play for a lot of folks, it's, it's hard for, you know, far too many people to resist that temptation. So what sort of, what, what sort of safe, uh, what sort of protocols or safeguards have you put in place then at this juncture to prevent something like that from happening again yeah i've done i've taken some big steps so the first thing is there's no more trusting people everyone has to use that everyone has to sign an nda he did sign one so that's why there's a legal case against him and non, non and non-disclosure agreement and a non-circumvent agreement um but we've had team members that we trusted it did not get them to sign one they ha- everyone has to sign one there is that software we use to record the screen when people are working so we can monitor and, and check what they're doing and plus, we just don't trust people. We're always watching people. But mm-hmm. the biggest step I took, a year ago, I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have LinkedIn. I've got all these companies. I didn't have LinkedIn because I always like to be behind the scenes and putting other people as the face of the business. And I build the business, but I enjoy life behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. That changed completely. And I started doing more interviews like this one, visiting incubators, bringing value. I've got LinkedIn, built 7,000 followers. My team even launched my Instagram. I, I don't use it, but they, they, they post things on there. I don't have Facebook yet. So the personal branding aspect, I doubled down on it, and it's brought me tremendous value, something I've wanted to do for a long time, but I've always been very private. Mm-hmm. That helps. My, I don't want people to listen to what I'm saying about me being scanned and say, shit, I can't give – sorry for cursing. I'm not sure if you meant to. But yeah, no, I'm it's not fine. Gonna, dude. Yeah, all good. Okay, cool. I don't want to give any of my work to anyone because, you know, what if I get scammed as well? then you're going to be in the same position you are right now because if without trusting other people and building systems to scale, you will not get to that high seven-figure and eight-figure range and nine figures. You have to trust other people to run your business. I'm sure Facebook CEO doesn't look at the company's P&L in detail every day, doesn't Mm -hmm. know about every single uh, expense. You just can't. And I was in the same position. But you have to do it right, and it's not easy. 
So Kelly just wiped out all of my accounts. I just got the, yeah. uh, the text there. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about uh, tools then that you use, because uh, clearly I have to put Kelly back under a monitor monitoring here. So like, what, what are some of the tools then that you're using to, to monitor the activities? Maybe, uh, you know, whether it's a SaaS type uh, program or what, what are you using from a tool perspective then to monitor uh, it's these companies and, uh, and, and activity of individuals, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. I'm just thinking about them. One of them, I don't know how I don't remember it, but there's a lot of them. It records their screen so that you can see what they type and what they open and close. So if you Google something like um, monitoring remote employees, mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. The, the name will come up. I'm not going to do it now. So that's the number one. Number two is um, uh, LastPass. So LastPass is a great way to share passwords without people seeing it. So if you want someone to access something, you don't want to give them the password. You can share the password in LastPass where it automatically fills it for them, but you, they don't have to, they can't see the password. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the second one that was really neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third thing is a project management tool. We use just Asana. We can use Basecamp. Mm-hmm. And so whenever someone leaves our company, and when we were scaling last in 2018, early 2018, we were hiring a person a day. So we're hiring very quickly. Um, and we had to fire fast, of course, because when you're hiring that fast, you're going to hire some people that are not qualified. And when you fire people and they, they did some work, how, do you, how can the other person take over their work? Well, if it's in their brain, you lost it, unless they're really nice people. But that's why if it's on a project management tool, it's that simple. A project management tool is essentially outsourcing your brain to a software, a computer, mm-hmm. because the human brain is far, 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 far from perfect. So when a new person comes in, they take all everything that that person's done, all the ideas, everything they're working on, on that project management tool. Those mm-hmm. three things will are essentially the core of us scaling as a business. Yeah, and I'm sure Richie and Mary, you guys have a ton of questions. So let me just ask you one more, and then we'll we'll turn it back over here to to the people who actually ask the right questions. But uh, let me throw this out at you first, which is, uh, do you at I mean at any stage of your career or in your current initiatives, current endeavors? Do you take in any outside capital whatsoever to fund what it is that you're doing? And if not, do you have kind of a, a golden rule, so to speak, of how much you're willing to invest personally in each of these endeavors? Uh, yeah. Um, so you'd like the answers here. Now, one of my businesses, uh, the blockchain one, purely focuses on fundraising. So we work with family offices and VCs to raise capital for other businesses. That's what it does. However, I've never done this for any of my businesses, and I'm very open about it. I just never needed it, mm-hmm. and that's not the way I do business. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I just the way I do business is I make sure something is profitable or revenue-generating from the get-go, because that means my risk is a lot lower. If it's making money now, it'll probably make money later on. But if it's not making money now and I'm relying on VC money, it's less likely it will make money later because it's not working now. I don't want to spend two years on something, spend two years of my life before I know if it will work or not. Businesses have a 90-something uh, 90 percent failure rate, and they're all good businesses that got investment. Mm. They've got VCs supporting them. Businesses that get VCs to vet them and accept them get 90-something percent failure rate. Now, that 10 percent that succeed, they've done really well, but I don't want that risk. I don't like risk. I want to sleep well at night. And I think a lot of people tend to ignore that 90-something percent that failed. Those good teams, good projects, they probably did the right thing, but maybe timing was wrong or someone else did it better or some black swan event, and they failed. I really don't want to be one of those businesses. And that's mm-hmm. why I prefer to uh, just 
get something generating revenue or profit from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how much of my own money I like to put, I like to, I prefer to put zero, but it's mainly resources. I leverage my resources. So I have team members when I launched IBC, or well, I'm launching Zens. Let's use that one as an example. It's an aromatherapy product. I launched it a few months ago. It's already six figures. And I didn't put much money in there. Um, but I did put my resources. Some team members from my other company, they're spending their time on this business. Mm-hmm. I leveraged my warehouses. I had to buy the stock. So a few tens of thousands of dollars, not a lot of money to get it going. Uh, because I'll, the, my strategy is to break even on the product. The product is lifetime value. So people buy it once. They really like it. Uh, and they buy it again and again. That's where we make our money. So all the initial sales, the acquisition, we break even on them. That's our secret formula to, to scale. And obviously that involves costs because if we're breaking even, who's funding the people working on it and the stock? And that's where my other businesses are. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't you, in, in, aren't there accounting issues with that then? Because if you're, I mean, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, I guess, unless, they're, unless you're Peter and you're Paul. They're all my companies, uh, but how, uh, yeah, I don't know how they do it from an accounting perspective. As you know, that's where I, I'm, I'm not really good. <laughs> Hence the problem in the past. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's still the problem. Like I'm, I'm actually today, yesterday, yesterday I had a call with an accounting firm and my brother, who's also my CEO, was having a call with one in, in about 10, 15 hours uh, because we want just kind of just give it to one company that has an immensely good reputation. Said, look, you know what? Just take this headache and I don't want to think about accounting anymore. So mm-hmm. get your accounts right for anyone that's starting a business. Yeah, it's interesting because once again, we're in on one of these reinvention radio where they could also be a beyond a figure one. Sure. And I always, when there's a company or a leader of multiple companies that has an idea for many companies, I, I always go back to the, how should you structure? Should there be a holding company that then distribute, like, it's, it's always my question. Now, obviously, you're going through it right now, so it's useless to ask the question because you're trying to figure that out right now yourself. I've got, no, I've got a structure. I do have a structure, though, um, that could bring value. Is um, I paid a lot of money for it, six figures for this, and uh, I don't know if it was worth it. But I do have, like, a holding company in Dubai, and it's all legal, et cetera. But a holding company in Dubai that owns a trading company in the UK that owns some of those subsidiaries in different countries, so I don't know if it's right to do this or if it's too complex. It was a pretty reputable firm that did this. But it's, it's, it's a problem for businesses that are scaling, like beyond eight figures, uh, Steve. That's a problem that you get as you scale. In the early stages, I wouldn't think about it until you have some money in the bank. But mm-hmm. definitely as you scale, you'll find that problem. Yeah. Go ahead, Mary. Well, I was going to ask, you're doing some essential oils and you said CBD products. Are you private labeling or I mean, like always, always building my brand. I could never sell someone else's brand because I just feel like I'm wasting. It's all, for me what what gets me going is building something of value, and I can't. I don't know how you can have something of value without a brand. You probably can. It's systems and sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say. I wonder if did you mean white labeling, not private? Like yes, white labeling. So, so I guess someone what you, else's. Yeah, like sorry. so they exactly. already make it because if you were starting from scratch and you got to do R and D and, and everything. Yeah, no, that's true. So it's under my brand, but I do that. I'm white labeling. So I'm using someone else's product. That's how I start off. I eventually will build my own. But to start with CBD, for example, I'm just starting out. I'm getting someone else to, that's not with the CBD. That's with the, sorry, with the CBD, not with the aromatherapy. With the aromatherapy, it wasn't too hard. So it's, it's, I've sourced it from the factory. I got someone to do the e-liquid. We 
work with many suppliers and then and then put it together. But with the CBD, because there's so many SKUs, we're drop shipping right now. So we have a partnership with another company. We'll drop ship the product. I don't care if I'm making no money because I just want to see if it works. Proof of concept. If it works, then we'll put all our resources to produce our own products. Mm-hmm. So I have one question with that. Um, at what point do you pre-sale then? Do you say with this aromatherapy, do you, here's what it is. This is a pre-sale that worked. Now I'm going to go source it and go get all the other stuff. Or do you say I put X amount of dollars, I put 50,000, $100,000 aside. When I get a good idea, I'm willing to put that towards it. Which, which way do you go? Cause I, I like the whole landing page, sell it first. I, I love e-commerce myself. Um, but that, that's where my question would be, at what point in the process is enough to prove it out for you? When someone gave you the actual credit card for the product and you say, I'll send it to you in a little while, or you actually have yeah. it in the warehouse already? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be completely open. I do both, and I do a third way that most people are too scared to do. Just like I said, the don't buy my competitor strategy. Too many people were scared to do it, even though it was legal, because they didn't want to upset the competitor. I did it. It's the same thing here, and I'll tell you what the strategy is. So first, if it's an idea that I know works because all the everything adds up. There's already a brand doing it that's selling really well. The demand is there. I look at Google Trends. I know there is interest. I might have asked people in my database. So once you know 100%, not you feel, you actually know, numbers show you that there is demand, definitely put money, buy some stock because it's very hard to do pre-orders. That's number one. I'm doing that one with Zens. That's how I started Zens, which now I've got stock and it's scaling to, to the seven figures. The Aura, which is launching in, in, um, in the US, it's a CBD product, but I'm not sure if it works. Plus, there's a lot of work involved in getting it, getting it produced. So with that one, I'm doing a pre-order. Low price or register interest, both. Low price, landing page, because I think it's such a unique product. That strategy will not work with, an, with, a, with a kettle or a laptop or... Uh, 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 some composting bin or anything that's, that's commoditized because if someone can buy it for cheaper on Amazon or buy the same thing on Amazon and get it in a, within a day or a couple of days they won't wait a month from you but if your product is unique I was actually listening to a podcast today and they were saying the same thing if your product is unique enough that people will wait for it and no one else has it that's when it works actually it was Kurt on the unofficial Shopify podcast and he was saying that pre-order doesn't work anymore him and his business partner um, mm-hmm. it, doesn't work I th- unless the product is really unique and I agree I think it works if you have a really truly unique product and that's where uh, uh, what we're doing and now the third strategy that no one will dare to do is I'll actually and I'm doing it right now with one of my businesses I'll promote it for three days really really heavily three four days say it's in stock even though I don't have the product now many of you might like whoa man this is unethical I refund them immediately and then I give them a discount when it comes in so they, they actually appreciate, hey, we paid for it. I say, look, sorry, we can't get the product in time, but I tested the market. Now you have two options. Not do this, and probably, I don't do this often anymore because I'm really a big company because I've got, I've got a brand reputation. I don't want to risk it. But if you're just starting out and you have nothing to do, like you have, have nothing else to, um, nothing to lose, do this rather than putting a lot of your money and then losing everything. Do it for a day or two. If you refund people and apologize, what's the worst? They got their money back. You, what, what are you going to lose? And then you lost potentially a horrible idea. Now, I'm mitigating that risk, so I'm doing it with a business that's drop shipping. So I'll say to them, hey, you know, it's going to be a three-day delay because we don't have the stock. It's in Australia. Um, and we'll drop ship it. It'll take three days to be delivered, three, four days. 
um, or refund them if they don't want to wait three, four days. But back when I started business, I actually pretended to sell a product when I had nothing. I had nothing at all, no brand, nothing. I didn't even have in stock just to test the market and then I refund people immediately. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really interesting approach to that. And uh, of course, that's part of what being an entrepreneur is all about is, is being creative and trying to figure out interesting ways to, to make things work here. And when you're going into a competitive space like you are with, with Zens and you know, some of the other things that you've done, it kind of feels to me like, well, the old adage of the best marketing wins, right? Because there's nothing, if you're simply taking what someone else is manufacturing, and you're putting your own label on it. And at the end of the day here, it's the same product in a different bottle with a different look. It's just speak to the power of marketing as it relates to the endeavors and initiatives that you've taken on over the years. And as you look to move forward, how important is it? What, 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 do, what do aspiring entrepreneurs, especially aspiring seven-figure entrepreneurs, need to be thinking about. And, and for those watching us live here, and we do encourage you to join us live every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific, uh, you can join in on the conversation. Uh, I haven't shared this, uh, I don't think yet, but you can join in on the conversation. If you have questions from Mario here uh, at 866-977-2346. So 866-977-2346. Feel free to join in uh, on the conversation if you have questions for Mario here. But just speak to that in terms of the power of marketing and, and what goes through your mind uh, as you're looking to tackle uh, what ostensibly is a commodity business. I, I honestly love that question. Um, I think it doesn't apply to me. And I, okay, that's a really cool question. Really cool. So I'll, I'll start with Zens. Zens is, a, is not a commodity product, luckily. So it's a product that there's only one competitor at the moment, but it will become a commodity product. It's not patented and it's not hard to manufacture. I know it will become a commodity product, even though it isn't yet. Now, how do you stand out when, when there are so anyone can just copy you using Amazon and then sell it on Shopify or Amazon. So uh, get it from Alibaba and then Shopify, Amazon, sell it. Anyone can compete with you. And that's where the cliche of branding comes in. But what is branding? Branding is when you build a community. People actually trust your brand. They feel something when they look at your brand. And that's what allows you to stand out. Building that relationship with customers. I think that's more important than, than almost anything else. So that's in terms of how do you stand out when your product becomes a commodity product. And your next question will be, all right, will the power of marketing work? There's a company called High Smile, High Smile Teeth. They're a good example of the power of marketing. They took a product. That's the teeth whining. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Mm-hmm. You put it in your mouth and um, you press a button and then it whitens your teeth. You leave it there for like 10 minutes. It's supposed to. I've got it. Uh, my teeth are not that white yet, but maybe it works. But I didn't know that I was impressed by them. I saw them on an interview. The two boys there did a great job. The product is so commoditized. You can get it for $5, $10 on, in, a, in a pharmacy. And the gel you can get from anywhere, anywhere in the world. And, and I realized and these guys managed to build a, a, an eight-figure business they're based in Queensland in Australia for a product that's commoditized. And that's where the power of marketing and, and customer service came, comes in, building that community. Now, the power of marketing includes community management. Acquisition is getting very expensive. PPC, um, influencer marketing is getting commoditized as well. All that is getting really, really expensive. So marketing involves or should mainly be taking care of your customers. When you acquire a customer, you should be obsessed in serving that customer. And that's what I'm doing this year. So don't listen to what I'm saying. Look at my actions. 
two of the businesses I talked about, um, one of the CBD ones and one of the, the, the healthy food products. I've launched them because I've, I've got my biggest company sells blenders and juices. A lot of those people that make smoothies mm-hmm. want a healthy lifestyle. So I'm leveraging those customers that I have. I think that's what marketing is, is how you can increase that lifetime value of customers. And that's probably the biggest moat you can build when your product is getting commoditized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, mm. great points here. Richie, we're going to, yeah. I know this is near and dear to you as well. Yeah, not only do I love that approach, but you, a lot of people don't realize that even some of the big dogs are doing that. Like, why isn't Instagram under Facebook? They could easily, they're owned by Facebook. Why isn't WhatsApp under Facebook? Why are they all separate? It's because they can test different things in different ecosystems in different ways, see what's working, bring them in as it works. But the money's all still going to the same place. But to your point, when you have these different companies and you nurture your clients like that, it, there's, there's only three ways that I know so far, and maybe there's a new one, but you get new customers to grow a business, that is. You get new customers. You get your existing customers to spend more. Or you get them to, it's kind of a hybrid on the last one, you get them to invite friends and or get buy more often, right? So it's, it's, it's a mix of the two. And so you, when you have these different products, you can test Zents and you're like, okay, well, this, this psychographic cares about themselves, cares about taking care of themselves. You can introduce it in a way to your blenders to your other people and some will become clients of both but it if they don't it doesn't it doesn't hurt anything like that's the beautiful part of doing it like that and i i think the literally the big companies are showing us right before our eyes to keep it separate but keep that customer experience tight exactly and and i think jay abraham talks about those three points i was speaking to his team yesterday and we actually went through it one of his business rob and his team Jay Abraham talks about these three key points. Is that's how you grow a business. You, 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 you get the people to pay more, you get them to buy more often, um, or you get your price higher so that the value is more. Um, and I think the latter two, the two that you mentioned, where you get them to buy more often or you, you know, buy uh, so more often or buy for a longer period of time, increase the lifetime value. That's what I'm doing with my businesses. That's my formula. So I've got the fruity customers and I'm just getting other businesses. I had my team today a few hours ago. We were on a call and uh, my CEO and brother who loves to disagree with me says, Mario, why are you launching these two businesses? One of them sells health and food products. The other one is a subscription box for uh, um, guilt-free desserts. Why are you doing them separate? Two separate landing pages, separate brands, separate businesses, but you're promoting them to the fruity database, which is our core company that sells blenders and juices. The general manager in Australia asked me the same question, like, why not put them all on some same website? I told them it's because it's a test and because it could turn out to be something completely different and unrelated. We don't know what will happen to it. You could merge it later. But when you're testing it, keep it away from your core business. Uh, Facebook with Instagram is a perfect example. Facebook never mentions Instagram when he's talking about Facebook and they report and all that. They never mention Instagram. It's always, always separate. They're launched. They're all over the news now or with the Libra um, cryptocurrency they launched. And they don't even mention Instagram anywhere. It's not related to Instagram. And he talks like Instagram is a Zuckerberg and his team. They talk like Instagram is a completely separate company, even though it comes to him. And then people hate Facebook. Like, I had enough of Facebook and all these privacy issues. And they go to Instagram. Yeah, exactly. And that's, 
and everyone knows Facebook owns Instagram and they still do the same thing. They make they say the same stuff. Oh, I prefer Instagram over Facebook. I don't trust Facebook. And, and it shows that the genius that whoever decided to split them away like this. And I, I, I love that strategy. Well, especially when you actually place enough ads on both of those and you realize it's literally one little extra button and you mm-hmm. can advertise to both of them. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. it's yeah. pretty yeah. easy. <laughs> So let's uh, let's do this. I mean, there's a lot of ground we can cover with you, obviously, and uh, you have a million different things going on. So thanks for taking the time to to hang out with us here. Uh, just knowing how much you have going on, I'm sure this uh, will get a bill for I don't know what 10, 12 G's or so for this hour, something like that. So mm-hmm. just hold off on that invoice if you don't mind. But let me let me ask you this, man. So go global. That seems to be a completely separate piece, and and just talk about. Because not only are you doing your own things, but um, to understand that you're also then putting your fingers in the pot of what other people are doing. And so just want to speak to, have you speak to that for a second, and then what sort of criteria you look for when it comes to investing potentially uh, in, in other great opportunities? Yeah, uh, Go Global and IBC, they're two businesses that have a very interesting strategy. And again, your questions are perfect timing. I was speaking to someone in my team today about one of the strategies I'll mention to you. We only came up with it yesterday, so here we go. So Go Global, what it does is it looks for businesses. It doesn't inject capital. My VC fund is completely separate. So Go Global injects our time and resources and, and logistics to help a business scale. So we only partner with two or three companies a year. And then uh, we look for companies that already have traction, they are successful in their uh, specific country. And then we partner with them, we take equity, uh, or some sort of uh, revenue share, and we help them scale globally. So that's what Go Global does. And my VC fund, of, it doesn't inv- invest in startups. But IBC is also doing a very interesting strategies. We're looking for businesses that are struggling, and that's where we inject capital and time, and we build them up. They have a community, they're struggling, we look for certain niches, and then we help them scale. It's very, very new. What do we look for? We don't care much about the uh, leadership. We don't, it doesn't have to be great leadership because we're happy to take that leadership. Um, but we look for we look for the people that can execute. We can do the leadership. I'm, I'm perfect at that. But we're looking for great developers or, or great uh, um, marketers we have, mainly great developers, people that build incredible products. And then we take over everything else. We build the community. We market the project, uh, et cetera. So we, we try to find that talent. We take an equity share. We, invest, we get vested in that business and we could fail with them. And then we help them scale over time. And that's something I'm going to double down on uh, later this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So for those who are looking to start a business and having, obviously you've started a number of businesses, what what are some of the key indicators, KPIs? Like, like what specifically would you suggest someone do today if they want to start a seven-figure business? Test different things, and when something works, when someone trusts you with their money, they say, hey, I think what you're offering me brings me X number of value, and that's how much it's worth. Here's $50. That's a vote of confidence. I launched a product. You know, you're talking about all my companies doing seven and eight figures. I launched a new business called Investor Syndicate, where we help businesses raise money. Um, and we launched it. We had one person initially buy. It's $1,000. One person buy it's peanuts for considering my other businesses. But that meant so much for me and the team that knows how I think that we celebrated just one person buying mm. because it shows that had that person believes enough in their product, 
one person, there's six billion people on this planet. I'm sure there are others that will also vote to to say, hey, we're interested in that business. Mm-hmm. So for anyone starting a business, when you land on something, when you're trying different things, when you jump in and try different things, when something works and someone trusts you with their money, don't underappreciate that. You should mm-hmm. really double down and value that person and value the money you gave them. Um, and, and if you have that mentality as you grow your business as well, I think that would be a good formula. There's no formula for success, but that's a great that's a great way to make decision on what to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. I um, so I've got a new in- initiative, a new endeavor that I'm that I'm launching, and for quite some time, I was a little bit hesitant about sharing exactly what it is and and what it's about because I was fearful of potentially someone else coming in and taking that idea and and running with it. It was speak to that in terms of you. You obviously are not. Uh, I mean, you're clearly not short of, of well, what appear to be great ideas. But somewhere in there, there's probably a, a unicorn, and you have an opportunity to potentially grow one of those. You know, into this massive endeavor. But at the same token, in order for that to happen, you've got to start it at well, start from ground zero, like any business and that requires you're talking about it and sharing with others what it is and what it's going to do and even going out and marketing it so can you just kind of talk a little bit about the the balance in your mind between sharing great ideas and trying to gain traction and being concerned about people with uh, much deeper pockets and and people who can execute perhaps even better than you can they go hand in hand Gaining traction and sharing the idea, are the, if you think about it, they're very similar or the same thing. To gain traction, you have to share the idea. So I, I meet a lot of startups that come to me and we have that great idea. And I, uh, like IBC gets a lot, a lot of startups. It's not even my VC fund. Some of them, some of them, so many of them are great ideas, but you'd be surprised how many have the same idea. So you, there's so many people on this planet I'm sure someone will have a similar idea or the same idea as you, whoever else you're referring to. It's about the execution that counts. Yeah. And you might say, yes, now what if someone with big pockets could do it better than me? It's, it's, it's a risk. And I, you know, sharing it with the right people. Now, are you worried about sharing it with investors? Because investors never do that. Because that's the point. Well, that's why they're an investor, because mm-hmm. they don't want to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're sharing it with investors, why are you worrying? Investors are looking for the people to build the idea. So if they don't invest in you, you should look at yourself. Why didn't they invest in me? They went and did it themselves. So it's very, very rare for an investor to copy an idea. Very rare. They mm-hmm. care about their reputation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they never sign an NDA. So you have no choice. They, right. they will, I've never seen an investor sign an NDA. Uh, now, if you're sitting there sharing it on Facebook to people that are unrelated that will not buy the product, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go on a podcast that has, that's full of entrepreneurs like this one and you tell them the ID, if they're not going to be a potential customer, it's a risk. Mm-hmm. Like if I went into my one of my IDs right now, I, I was vague about one of my IDs, the CBD product in the US, and it's not on my website. Why? Because I know it's not that hard to launch that product. And I know if someone in the space right now that is in the CBD space hears about it, <laughs> it could it could backfire on me. Mm-hmm. So it's about being strategic on on who you share it with. But when it comes to investors and people that could become your customers, you cannot grow without sharing it with those people. So it's just a matter of time before you have to share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point, Richie. Mary, anything else to add before we uh, let Mario jump here? Well, I was. It's funny you brought up the CBD because I was going to 
press you on that a little bit because it was vague. And so I'm going to ask it in a way to where it'll challenge you and uh, you can still reveal what you want to reveal. What made you want to jump into that space when there's so many damn people jumping into that? And it's obvious. Now, I know the the obvious answer is a lot of people want it also, right? That's a no-brainer. But the combination of the competitors and you can't even really advertise it in very many places without them, you know. And so I'm wondering if it's specifically because you have this list and you want to do it, you know, backdoor through your other companies and not. Like, what can you tell me about why you picked that? I can give you, without telling you about the product, I can give you, I can ask you a question really directly and accurately. So, uh, uh, go ahead. So I would say, why did you pick CBD CBD. with all the competition in that market and and specifically what are you doing different? I don't even use CBD. I've tried it once. It's got me tired. I don't need it. I've got energy. I don't have pain. And I believe in the benefits. So it's not me personally. It's more of a business decision. Why am I entering CBD? So what people tell me, man, it's so crowded. I'm like, yeah, you think CBD is crowded? Go to go have a look at selling blenders <laughs> compared to CBD, a product that's been around for decades. That's crowded. CBD doesn't, it's not crowded yet. It will be crowded when the big guys come in. That's when it's going to get crowded. And the people that are complaining it's crowded now, it's hard to make money. They're going to be out of business when the big guys come in. So CBD is not crowded yet. It's definitely more crowded than the early days. Sure, it's maturing and that's normal. Demand is increasing as well. But it's in the early stages. Um, also being crowded, of course, shows demand. People that will, nothing, If something's not crowded, you should be worried, hey, there's no one doing this. Mm. Is there anyone buying it? So that crowd gets me more excited. Obviously, you could say, man, I wish I went in a year ago. It's so much easier. Yeah, you could say this for five years. There's still money being made by startups now. So that's in terms of it being crowded. Now, in terms of um, not being able to market, PPC not working, that's an incredible opportunity. PPC is so expensive, and people are going to be able to outbid you, people that have so many different products, and CBD is just one of them. They can lose money on CBD and sell those people their other products that are related somehow. So I take this as a great opportunity. What can I do in terms of marketing? How can I be different? Look at Vitaly. Vitaly, he's a YouTuber. I don't know about him until someone sent me the news about it. He got his girlfriend to wear, did you see the story? He got a girlfriend to wear um, his website on a swimsuit and she ran uh, with a swimsuit in a, in a, in a game, I think a, a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying it's a great idea, but it generated him millions of dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. And CBD where you have to think outside the box, you have to think of other acquisition methods, whether going to events, whether emailing, whether mail-outs, whether text messaging, advertising. Have you thought of that? The open rate is crazy. Mario, I gotta, let, me, let me do this here because I know we could talk about this till we're, till, till we're blue, all blue in the face here, but I want to give you an opportunity quickly here in the last 10 seconds. Best place for sure. people to get more information on you. Where should they go? MarioNorfel.com. Norfel is N for Nelly, A, W for Whiskey, F-A-L. F-A-L, awesome. Mario, really appreciate you joining us here on Reinvention Radio. Again, we could talk forever on this, but again, thanks so much for the insight. For Richie and Mary, I'm Steve Olsher. Talk to you next time here on You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.